Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. To episode 99 of the Staff Room Podcast. We are talking about decentering Remembrance Day for today's episode. So let's not waste any time. Let's dive in and get right into the conversation. My name is Pav Wander, and I make up 50% of the hosting hosting team of this dynamic duo. My co-host is sitting with me, but I don't introduce him. He does that himself. And that ball's hit high. It's hit hard, and it's a home run. All rise for the judge. Chay Cheney. Baseball announcer, but you know, all rise for the judge is reference to episode number 99. Mm-hmm, that's that, right. That we only need solely so we can get to 100. <laughs> that's right this is a filler episode <laughs> well the content's not a filler but no. the, the whole concept of, of of having episode 99 is solely so we can get to 100 99 is a i think 99 is a great number because you're just one away you're one away so you know you should never think of yourself as a hundred you should always think of yourself as a 99 you're one away you know in indian culture um in south asian culture uh it's traditional to give uh, $1 more than what you intend to give someone as a gift. Oh. So if you are giving somebody a gift, like a wedding gift of $500, for example, you would always give 501. You never give exactly how much you intend to give. You always give one more than that because you want to give more than your intended. Like it's, it's a way of displaying how much more you want to give. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I have a lot of uh, American $1 bills I was about <laughs> to say, I'm going looking for loonies. There's a lot of loonies. Loonies are, are heavy. They weigh down the envelope, right? So there's a lot of U.S. Uh, singles in my home. <laughs> so if you find that, don't think anything different. You have a lot of singles in your home. 
Did I, did I hear that right? I am sweating a little. Oh, you're okay. like, you're like, I just put myself in my own foot, my own mouth. I sure did. Oh, and listen, <laughs> and she did that all herself, all by herself. Uh, Pav, beyond that part, uh, it was really interesting information. And it's, it's really great to know those, those subtle nuances that, that can have such value and such meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, thank you for gifting me that little <laughs> knowledge. And really thank you for gifting me the ultimate faux pas. Yes, that's Finally right. an episode where Che doesn't have the top three mistakes. Well, actually, we're a little early. I still might. I was just going to say, we're only four minutes in. I'm going to cut this episode short. We're going five minutes today. Okay. Uh, but Pav, we got some good content. Well, <laughs> we always have some good content. But we have a topic that we're really keen to talk about. And uh, we'll get to the sort of our anecdote before. But as we sort of switched a little bit to episodes every two weeks, our mindset switches a little bit when it comes to episodes. Because when we were going every week, it's almost like it was just absolutely uh, dictated by what was going on in the class. And mm-hmm. the episodes still are, but now we have an abundance of episodes we want to talk about because yes. it's a two-week span. So you and I have three or four just sitting there like, oh, we could do this one. And and then we are switching at the last, I wouldn't say the last minute. It's not like it's unscripted or unplanned, but we're like, you know what? I'm really feeling this content right now. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into this. And so, of course, uh, Remembrance Day is upon us. And it reminded us that last year we did an episode similar to this topic, but not specifically. We focused a little bit on the digital arts component. Mm-hmm. And a year in, we were ready to really talk about some of that maybe deeper content in the moment. I don't want to say that digital arts wasn't deep, but maybe then we weren't as confident or maybe as well-established to talk about the, the concept of decentering Remembrance Day. Yeah. And working to change our pedagogies, our methodologies, working to uh, really fixate on identity. And I think that'll come about. But let's get back to an anecdote because no episode is, you know, a proper without an anecdote. Mm-hmm. And so just recently we've been, you know, doing our presenting and we got to present this presentation, which is digital storytelling uh, and decentering Remembrance Day. And we got to perform, perform, we were performing. Performed, yes. At uh, VBIT 21, which mm-hmm. is Bring It. Bring It Together. Yeah. Bring It Together. and um, Which is put on by uh, echo.org, right? Sorry to interrupt. The Educational Computing Organization of Ontario. That's twice. but that was actually uh perfectly timed and yeah so we had that presentation and you know sometimes presentations it's it's you feel the vibe sometimes in that virtual space not that we're like expert presenters but um sometimes when you couple it with that twitter space it's you you get a sense of whether you really crushed it or really resonated or the content really excited and i think we found this weekend um although we've given this presentation a few times it's tough to tell how it lands when you've presented it three or four times and it landed really well we had such great feedback so many positive side messages so many people engaging directly in the task and saying how does this look how does that look I love the idea you have here. And then uh, some of those participants were saying, I'm going to try this and and use the same techniques, but to deal with emotion. And I think it reminded us that that content was really valuable and really valid for us. And so we thought, let's revisit this a little bit back uh, in our podcast episode, not solely an episode about the digital creation, but fixating a little bit on the methodology behind that. Mm-hmm. This idea of decentering Remembrance Day or you know, reframing Remembrance Day, being sure that stories that are typically erased 
we bring to the forefront and that students' identities we bring to the forefront. And so it was about really making uh, uh, the students in our space not consumers and really like watching the festiv- festivities is the wrong word, watching those tributes from the far, but really feeling they were connected to it because they felt like they had a space to share their stories, share their identity through their work in uh, our presentation for Remembrance Day at School. Yeah, uh, so well put, Che, and, and a perfect anecdote to get us into this conversation. Um, I wanted to bring us back very quickly to last year, and last year is when we first spoke about uh, what we had done in our classroom, and it was the the whole concept of concept of digital storytelling. And we knew that this was the right thing to do. We knew that it was important for students in the class to bring their own identities forward and how, you know, this, this concept of war, of, of unrest in, in their own homelands, uh, you know, resonated and, and how they could relate back to this, this whole idea of Remembrance Day. Because I think that what happens is, you know, the, the story or the narrative of Remembrance Day is just so far removed from what our students' lived experiences or their family experiences are that they have a hard time connecting with, with the stories that they're learning about in school. And so I think intuitively... Um, our intentions were to to bring about that the whole identity piece within that project that we had done. And over the course of the year, we've learned so much about decentering the dominant narrative uh, within the classroom, whether it's around Remembrance Day or any other, um, you know, whether it's a celebration or whether it's commemorating something of importance in history. Uh, there are so many ways that the dominant culture is being um, represented in the narrative. And I think our intentions were always to decenter that. We just hadn't done enough learning at that point about what that means and, and how this can be done in the classroom and, and the work that other people have really done to, to highlight this idea. And so I think that this past year has really given us a lot of insight into the importance of decentering the dominant narrative. Um, even down to talking about what the dominant narrative is with our students. I, I, I know that we've had that conversation and using that correct terminology and understanding what the dominant culture is and what makes it the dominant culture. And, and we've had at length conversations in, in our space about what that means and how can you bring in non-dominant narratives into the classroom and what does that look like? What does that feel like? And so this is all part of that, um, that whole idea. And the other aspect that I wanted to talk about was the digital storytelling piece. Um, this is ultimately what it was all, uh, about, I mean, our project, our piece that we presented ab- about at uh, at VBIT this year was digital storytelling. And storytelling itself has truly evolved over the past couple of years. And this concept of oral storytelling, which is not a new concept, but it's being brought back to the forefront, rightfully so, because of the entire identity piece and and the way that storytelling has been done in different parts of the world. 
Um, and digital storytelling is a major part of that as well. And that's something that we wanted to highlight that there, there are stories to be told in images, digitally, in graphic design, in many different f- formats and many different ways. It's not just written storytelling. Storytelling comes in so many different forms. So uh, there's those two pieces that I just wanted to highlight before we continue with the rest of the episode. Oh, we could end the episode now. No. Um, I'll make it real quick, eh? Um, oh, that was the Canadian in me. Mm. Uh, you talk about a bunch of great things, assumed. And I, I highlighted a few because we talked about here is that this, this oral storytelling, this visual storytelling comes back to your original point, Pat, this sort of this, this centered narrative and how nuanced and how subtle and how quickly we, we, we don't challenge what we're doing or to see how it is. And we know in literacy, part of uh, understanding oral storytelling and visual story, storytelling or to honor it is to break down the hierarchy of literacy skills. This ascension that writing is the, the, the ultimate climax of you displaying literacy proficiency. And, and you would make the argument when you think and you see, uh, think about it that this is actually, this is just one version of what is important in literacy. It's the Eurocentric story. And that reminded me to another thing as you were talking about um, sort of the work of, of centering stories and identity is which stories and which identity are constantly being thrust upon you. And I think I, I changed my vernacular in the sense that it's not the ones that are necessarily thrust upon you. It's the ones that we take for granted and gloss over and move beyond so simplistically and we don't challenge. And so I wrote a few things here. I wrote Google search for one. My class has really been looking for the narratives that are being shown to you or displayed through our quick Google searches. And when we were doing our digital photography this year, we really talked about finding a picture, finding a story that truly represents who you are. And we talked about, go check Google when you search Remembrance Day and what imagery are you going to get? And you get the dominant narrative. And we've done this in art and we've done this in other subjects. What's the dominant narrative that's always going to appear in these very low resolution attempts to find information? But unfortunately, most of us stick to low-resolution forms of gathering information. If we're searching something up, we're not scrolling to page 5 on our Google search, or we're not being really explicit in our Google search. But it reminds me, if we are really explicit in our Google search, you have to search with purpose, wisdom. You have to know what you're looking for, so that on that low-resolution trying to gather information, we get the, the colonial norms, Mm-hmm. And we just absorb them right away. And even with, not even with, with uh, the students in my space this year, how quickly they would gravitate and just take on one of the first five or six images they found, even though we were talking about identity work, how quickly they would like an image and just take it and say, can I just use use this one instead, Mr. Cheney? I said, well, well I know you have purpose. I know you had a great idea. How come we've defaulted to these imageries? Because mm-hmm. they're simple, they're easy, they're given to you, but they're more, the, it's, that's how deep-rooted that colonial culture is. It's in these low-resolution searches or flipping the page of a book, what pictures are just inundated to you that you almost stop, to, you stop questioning them. Yeah. You start just assuming that those are the norm and this is right. the work is this this nuance of this identity work is it takes real purpose, real wisdom, real learning in order to make sure you push that forward. And we would love to be in a space where you don't have to like it's so disproportionate to have to bring out that those rich 
deep stories that aren't the colonial narrative because they're not readily available and how quickly, even with best intentions, knowing you want to break them, you can still default right back to them just because of the overload of low resolution imagery and information that is constantly given to you. And it's, it's so subconscious, isn't it? Because um, I've had these experiences in my classroom space. And, and then I think back to when I was growing up and how, how much I wanted to distance myself from my skin color when I was younger. And, and I find that although it has gotten a lot better uh, with students today, with children today, uh, I, I still find that it exists because I will ask students to find pictures that represent, um, you know, connections that they might have with their siblings or their their family members or the people that they live with. And they will pull up pictures that are of white families and, and they are not white students. And and I and I bring up that question is like, why did you choose this picture? It was like, because it looks like there's love here. And and I just remember thinking but do they look like you? And so sometimes I think to myself, is this something that students are just really naive to? Or is it so ingrained in their minds to to not connect with the imagery or not look for the imagery because they know that the imagery just doesn't exist or that it's not going to be... Um, or that they don't connect with it? Or do they feel like if they are connecting with the imagery that represents them, they are negating the dim- dominant culture? I feel like there's there's so much more psychology behind this because on the one end, I feel like I, I can relate to this feeling. Um, but at the same time, that was 30 years ago. And so why should we not have evolved that psychology since then? Like, why cannot we, why can we not accept who we are and, and look for those things? And so I am, I am far more intentional with making sure that students um, feel like they are being represented, but there's a fine line between forcing something upon your students that they are not comfortable with versus teaching them what the dominant culture is and why it's so deep rooted within us. Um, and, and so that's something that I personally grapple with because it is a lived experience for me. Um, and so I am very careful to not thrust my own traumas upon my students in, in having those conversations. Uh, but, but at the same time, I feel like we are in a much safer space to be having these conversations now. Uh, and so I do bring it up as often as I can or whenever I see something that I feel needs to be addressed. And, and it's also why I find that it's so important to use correct terminology and talk about the histories behind, you know, why, why is this called the dominant culture and why do we want to interrupt or disrupt or change the narrative? And those are terminologies that we use often in our class. Uh, we, we were using terms like canceling, but, um, but we shifted a little bit away from that because of the negative connotations that are attached to cancel culture. Uh, so instead we use words like disrupting, interrupting, um, and, and shifting rather than, rather than cancel culture. And I know I, I took a bunch of different turns there, but I saw that you jotted a few things down. Yeah, because you were taking a lot of turns in a lot of great spaces. Uh, I thought of, I use erasurism a lot in my room. That's a con, uh, yeah. and then we use a lot of whose story is being centered. 
Um, because we, we also use that a lot when we're talking about emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Who's being centered right now? Who's centering ourselves yes. right now? And it becomes uh, a vernacular that they can connect across curriculum. And Pav, it reminds me as we were talking about, this is why identity work can't even be in Remembrance Day, I'll focus on multiple identities. Identity work has to be embedded in everything. Your math, your science, mm-hmm. your physical education, your art. Um, so that it becomes something that is becomes, um, it's like, it's like muscle memory yeah. in one sense. Yes. I think like an athlete. I, I want our space to be challenging and making sure we are uh, disrupting all the time, which narratives. But you need to practice with purpose. Not just practice, practice with purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this has to be you know, your norm all the time, which also comes back to bigger themes of building relationships b- before content and curriculum. I, I, this is where this mixes in. As the teacher, especially in a racial... Well, not, I don't even know especially. I just know my lived experience. As a white male in a racialized community, how do I d- build trust with students by absolutely showing how I'm going to try to actively work to decenter myself, to decenter the colonial narrative, that that builds a relationship and trust, and it's one that you have to build upon because you don't just do it through three activities or four weeks. And this is in this bigger picture of identity work and decentering. This this is how you build solid, deep relationships with your students that allows them to feel brave enough or feel like the space is safe enough to go further, to push further, to take this uh, disruption into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I'm, I'm going a little bit further. Let me come back to, I love that you brought up a trauma, not because I want you to be traumatized, but we know that in identity work, especially with Remembrance Day, you have to be mindful of these experiences because often when we talk about the colonial um, Canadian narrative of Remembrance Day, it's very much history-based. Mm-hmm. Not that it is, it's just the narrative tends to be, and there tends to be a disconnect. Like you're watching a movie of information, more so than immersed in living history. And so when you do bring up uh, students' experiences, they come from rich backgrounds. But, you know, we've discovered families that have, when the students come and they share their work, they've been brave enough to share their work and revealing that their, their, their families are here escaping civil war. Mm-hmm. And so there is a traumatic event to it. So when uh, one layer of all of this is when you're trying to honor identity, make sure you're not forcing it upon people uh, or folks. It's not for you to tell you, you need th- this is the space where you get to show your identity. It's got to be subtle. It's got to be nuanced because you never know what your best intentions may be triggering off for people and, or uh, making them feel uncomfortable. Pav, you know, we had this conversation. The teacher doesn't decide if it's a save or a brief space. That, that's easy. It's always safe or safe or brave for me. And so when you do dive into deeper, this deeper identity work, and we were talking about Remembrance Day, mindful of that, that trauma um, that you may be setting off, inflicting, triggering, and you want to have spaces and you want to have ways around this, uh, at different access points and, and allowing them to students to not necessarily feel that you're not pushing them to center their identity in that moment if they're not comfortable, if they're not prepared to at right. the moment. Right. Um, you can jump in any time. As you told your story, I wanted to, I wanted to tell my story. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this is the power of, of storytelling. And I don't necessarily want to center myself. But as you spoke, it reminded me of my journey as a teacher. Anyone that knows me well knows that I come from, I come from a military background. Grandparents, 35 years in the military. And although I don't talk about my tattoos very often, uh, probably never, they're all, almost all military-based, and they all tell the story of my family. 
And so it's there. But sometimes now I look back and I see how colonial the imagery is, the, 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 the pictures that are there and the medals that are there and the battles that are depicted. And I, that I rem, this reminds me, because when I began as a teacher, I was always uh, really invested in Remembrance Day. And I, and I made sure I, I got my class involved and I made sure we were doing presentations. I made sure we were um, leading the assembly and doing this and doing that. In hindsight, I realized, but all I was doing was fully entrenching the colonial norms, the identity that I connected so readily with and felt so excited to teach those students about it that I didn't realize how completely I was erasing their ability to dive into that content, to dive into that space, to feel that Remembrance Day was for them to show and honor and remember soldiers that maybe battles and wars they could connect with. And so when you were telling that story, I thought about my exuberance as a younger teacher and how I completely manifested this whole erasurism through... uh, and not even disdain for absolute pure excitement of the content, but just so centering myself and my narrative, how many people did I potentially traumatize or further alienate from connecting with Remembrance Day, connecting with your teacher, connecting with your with your class, connecting with your learning, when you have this teacher that's going to center himself and center his story so passionately. And so when I think of my own growth, I think of being in this space now where we're leading this digital photography unit and we're, we're exploring the photos we're finding on Google Images and we're diving into to stories and identity and really trying to create and manifest. I said, I have done the greatest, not, not, not to say that I, I've done the greatest growth, but the, the self-actualization for me is so critical because I feel now that in year 20, I'm teaching my best because I'm teaching so far from the front and I'm learning so much about my students in this process. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is so important, Che. Um, and, and I want to thank you for your vulnerability with your story and, and, and for recognizing your growth and self-actualization with that. And I think that, I think in, in some level, we've all done that. I mean, you and I, even together, we have done that over the past year. We've grown so much in our understanding of how to decenter the, the, the common narrative. And so, um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with being proud of your own heritage, but I see um, where you felt like maybe you were just putting uh, putting that narrative too much to the forefront without perhaps acknowledging the other narratives that existed at the same time. And part of that is you were probably not aware of those narratives either. Mm. And so, uh, and that is completely fair because I remember learning about my own heritage in relation to the, the war and serving for Canada. And I remember feeling a great sense of pride at that, at learning that. And so, um, part of my own intentionality has been to make sure that the students also understand that this is not just one narrative. There are many people that served for Canada during the world wars. And so it's important to, to not only do our own research for ourselves to know this information to, and, but also for students to know and understand that, that it wasn't just one dominant culture that there were so many different represent uh, representations um, during the war and so our prompt for this year has been a little bit different this year it's not so centered on their own identity but it can be um, because the prompt is 
How have you seen the non-dominant Canadian population represented and honored for Remembrance Day? And then a variation of that is, how have you seen the non-dominant Canadian population that you identify with being represented and honored for Remembrance Day? So you can take it either way, whatever you are comfortable with, if you would like to represent uh, the ident- your own identity in, in, in seeing that um, being represented, then, then please, by all, by all means. But uh, yesterday was November 8th, and uh, we honored, um, uh, it was Indigenous Veterans Day mm-hmm. on November 8th. And so we did our learning about, about that. And then we also talked about uh, the fact that there were 22 Muslims that fought for Canada during World War II. And although that's not a huge number, um, before a population of students that uh, that I work with, um, that who are primarily who primarily identify as Muslim Canadian students, um, this was a big deal because for myself, uh, when I learned about one Sikh uh, veteran, um, Private Buckham Singh, for me that was that was a big deal, and so um, I I like to see students feeling that sense of pride and that sense of honor and and knowing that you know they were represented for Canada and they did fight for Canada and and so they they should not be excluded in the narrative and so for us that that was a big deal for us and that's that's what we are working towards this year. Pab, those anecdotes really uh, drive home how powerful it is to be seen. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I I can drop that vernacular all the time, but I, I don't have that experience. I can't say I understand because I'm always seen in the content, in the books, in the stories. It's very mm-hmm. tough to not be seen. And so when I hear you tell that story, it, it resonates deeply because I can't say I've experienced that. And it's important to, to hear that, even if it's not the first time I've heard it. It's important to keep rehearing, especially as a white male educator, just how much it resonates when you are seen in the content, in the in the pictures, in the stories, in the in the narrative, there's a few things you talked about, Pav. I'd love to come back to. I loved your your prompt there, and we were talking about consumption because your your prompt is so specific. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a great prompt, which comes back to one of my original points: is in, unless we're really specific and really wise and really detailed, we can get so easily consumed by the very simple. Not even it's not even simple narrative. It's the the dominant narrative. And so I reminded me here this not that this episode's about tech, but there's the tech, the multimedia, the social media world, that low low resolution, that really simple ability to 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 find information. And maybe, maybe our students' ability or lack of ability, and we could debate this on another episode, to quickly consume. Mm-hmm. Do have we built that skill set to really dive deep into those spaces where you're being inundated with information? Like we think it's just consuming, but it's not just consuming. Do, are you aware how you're consuming? Do you aware how quickly you rush to certain topics to consume? Are you willing to dive deep into? It may just be a YouTube channel, but are you just going at the first two? Because I jotted down there just how much of this also has to do with students' ability to navigate this space. And very little um, explicit teaching on how to navigate this space. So we reach for the first two videos. You, you, Pav, you and I probably still do it if we go Google. We'll search. I'll search something and I'll scroll maybe half a page. Yeah. Maybe I'll look at six or seven. Hey, that's my deep research. I looked down to the sixth hit on, you know, when I looked up Chain and Pav. Um, 
So I, I assume p- part of the layered of not being seen is just how simple it is, not so much in what's out there, but in how we dive into that space. And if we collectively just allow really low resolution attempts to find information and consume information, we're just going to keep re instilling that dominant narrative because that's what's up when i think of remembrance day those are the images that come up we and i think pav i don't even know where we shared this conversation we were drawing eyes and art and we stopped and we had a conversation about when you look up eyes and art what are you seeing and you just see white females yeah and and just how quickly in 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 my class there are no white females but yet everyone was willing to stop and draw the white female eye validating that experience validating that look and and not even questioning because i would you could make one argument on that just that tech space or that social media space or that search space just how simple and easy it was to find this i'm going to stop here mm-hmm. how much onus is on teachers and maybe maybe other teachers are doing this and i'm not to really be explicit on how we're searching and to to, to dive deep to use your filters and are we doing it often enough that students start to pick up the skill set and do it for themselves so that when they are searching they are searching you know high resolution they're searching for something deep right um, I have to say, as you were talking about that, it really it made me think of just before we started this episode, I was looking for a particular article uh, and and I googled the exact title of the article and um, and it I had to search three Google pages before I found it. And I was getting frustrated thinking, why wasn't this the very first hit? But there were all kinds of other articles that came up before this one. And, uh, and, I, and I wondered if it had anything to do with the skin color of the author. And, and I have to say it's something that crossed my mind. And, and I just wondered why, why it wasn't coming up. And I only knew to continue looking because I knew this article existed. Now, for students who don't even know what exists, how, they're not, are they going to be going three pages in to look exactly, to find exactly what they're looking for when they don't know what they're looking for? And so that is something that, that we really have to talk about with students. Like if, if you are looking for something that represents who you are, represents your identity or represents what it is that you want to find, then sometimes you're going to have to look a little bit further. And it's unfortunate that you have to do that, but this is how we're going to be able to bring those hits to the forefront. Um, because, because it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And we have to know about it before we can make those changes. We have to be aware of, of where those things are hiding before we can make those changes. Is this article the one I think you're think that is yeah. in our notes? It's the Reframing Remembrance Day by Kiki Ojo, John, uh, and it, Ojo Thompson. And it didn't come up right away? Did not come up right away. Whoa. I know. And I was very shocked at that. I, was, I had to scroll a bit before I actually came to it. But there were several others uh, that came up before, and I was a little shocked to see that. I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm also relieved, though. I'm relieved that you weren't angry at me before the episode started. <laughs> Does that happen? Because, well, you just said I was angry before the episode started. I was like, I know that. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't me. Yeah. But not for this reason. And, but I, like, you didn't even tell me this. This is the first time you're telling me, and I'm yeah. shocked. Yeah, I know. It was just, it was frust- It was a frustrating thing. I didn't Because talk we about. actually came across that article, um, uh, when we were at uh, the four big questions mm-hmm. with uh, Debbie Donsky, Paul Gorski, Pamela Agua, and Kiki Ojo Thompson. Yeah. And so I thought that was just, it was great that we had connected with her and, and that article has resonated with us ever, ever since because it's sort of 
dictated and pushed us forward. Uh, Pav, I think we've had a pretty lively conversation on the value of decentering Remembrance Day, which of course you could take out Remembrance Day and just the concept of decentering your content all the time. But Remembrance Day has been a really good one for us because we've mm-hmm. actually seen a year of growth in our understanding to know how much more purposeful we can do it this year. Where last year, I probably wouldn't have discussed as much about the Google imagery that showed up. Now it's, it's a focal talking point. Um, I think it's almost time for a commercial. Yeah. And I think you have an announcement for this commercial for uh, who we're sponsored by that will take up the second part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We spoke about it during the drive, but uh, it requires a little bit more conversation because uh, it's such a great opportunity. Do do you want us? You want me to lead us in? Yeah, please go for it. And this episode 99 is brought to you by. (laughs) It is brought to you by Conquer Leadership. We are partnering with Parm Chahan, who is the CEO of Conquer Leadership to present you a great free opportunity for all educators who are interested in learning about some of the finer points of leadership. We have a Eventbrite link that is out on our events page of chainpav.com. It is a free event taking place on Saturday, November 20th at 12 noon Eastern time. Che and I will be there. We hope to see you there too. This is a one-hour session. We will further develop the crucial skills of the power of building and maintaining connections and staying authentic in our relationships. Being able to connect is the single most important building block of personal and professional leadership. So please check out our website, chainpav.com slash events for additional information as well as for the Eventbrite link. And if you check out our Twitter page as well as our LinkedIn page, you will also find the link to register there as well. Again, it is Saturday, November 20th at 12 noon Eastern time for a one hour free workshop to talk about the power of connections in leadership. As Tony Kornheiser would say, that was a great read. It was good copy. And you've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast, episode 99, and we'll be right back. And it's all rise with Chain Path on the Staff Room Podcast, episode 99. 99. One more till 100. I don't know what I'm going to do after 100 because I've been talking about getting to 100 for about 10 episodes, which yeah. is, you know, almost two months. Is it anticlimactic? Might be. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, well see. I'm really excited about episode 100. 100 is going to be so much fun. But this has been a great conversation, Pav. Yeah, it has. Decentering, it really has. reframing the narrative of Remembrance Day, which of course we've been talking specifically about Remembrance Day. But I think what we're, a lot of our conversation here is very general not general as in like just superficial, but general in that it's it's really methodology switches and shifts. And we've been talking about uh, access to student identity and stories and giving them a space, providing them a place, trying to break away from that alienation. We've validated and reminded people of the power of being seen. I'm almost doing a swag bag without a swag bag. So I'm going to stop. Yeah, you should stop. We no. should edit this and do it again, but we don't on the Staff Room Podcast, so we're not going to go back and edit it. Yeah. I would add... Uh, Pat, that one of the growth of COVID, one of the benefits is I think teachers have a real shared understanding of how they can quickly and easily share resources. Mm-hmm. And I, I last year, I can't say that I knew of an abundance of them, or maybe I wasn't connected with an abundance of people that, that had were, were sharing. But this year, I've noticed the amount of choice boards, Google slide decks, Google Docs, that 
teachers and educators and boards are sharing out rapidly um, is really powerful. I know my class was able to dive into a variety of different choice boards for Remembrance Day, talking about the different narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Islamic experience, the Chinese experience, the African-Canadian experience, if I remember the titles of the slide decks, the indigenous experience. And so it gave them a space to connect um, a women's impact, farmers mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And many teachers have curated a lot of great content and able to easily share, easily upload. And I think this is one of those things that COVID-19 has done for us is it gives us a shared space to really connect and share resources. And so as much as I've done my best to try to curate a variety of different resources and and different talking points and spaces for students to share identity, there's been many that have gifted us knowledge and information and resources and links to videos that allow students to just explore and see. And so they're not being, as much as I talked earlier about what we see when we just look low resolution ourselves, but there are lots of spaces that are really curating a vast variety uh, of different talking points that really allow students that maybe wouldn't be able to or wouldn't have the skill set or haven't ascended to this again this is another topic to find this stuff it's being uh put in a space where they can find it right and also using it as a really great jumping off point for further conversations um as you as you mentioned che that this is uh, it's not a general conversation in the sense that it's a superficial conversation, but it is, uh, you know, we, we don't have to talk about reframing or decentering Remembrance Day. We can talk about uh, reframing all kinds of um, either celebrations or days that of significance or even just uh, decentering or interrupting any sort of white dominant culture that exists um, anywhere. Like one of the articles that I read in preparation for this episode was about interrupting interrupting white dominant culture in museums. So you know we could we could take this idea and apply it to so many different conversations within the classroom um, about decentering what we see or you know shifting the narrative of everything that we experience. Who's, we talked we talked about Google. We talked about the experience that we have in searching for things on Google. But this this applies everywhere. Who's centered? Someone's yeah. always centered. Who is centered? Who is centered in this? And so justly, just, unjustly, right. and, and, and in centering someone who's is being erased. Exactly. And and just being able to have those conversations really is eye-opening to many students who may not have considered that this is even a thing. And at, you know, our we teach middle school at the ages of 12, 13, 14, students are, you know, they're picking up on these things and they're they're able to, you know, understand and appreciate um, these ideas and, and they're mature enough to understand how, how the society works and how it, uh, has worked in the past and, and how they can, what they can be doing to shift that narrative. Pav, we've had this conversation in math. When I think of early teaching, you're going to, you're going to solve this algebraic equation the way, uh, it's been prescribed that you're going to solve it. Right. But of course, when you dive into the diversity of math not that diversity is the key word the identity of math how people are being we've had this conversation in other episodes mm-hmm. how math is taught and honored in homes and other cultures do we honor that at school or do we try to 
force on the dominant narrative of what's the right look for mathematical solutions. And although I don't have a ton of experience teaching math, I've taught it, you know, a few times, but I've taught it enough now to know there are endless different ways to solve every math question. Right. So you, you as a teacher and part of a sort of decentering, the content is decentering yourself is that when you're prescribing a certain type of solution in order to display mastery, what are you centering? Right. What are you centering? And this could be exactly like you said, an entire conversation on its own. So I guess we have the next seven uh, planned out and ready to go. Jotting notes. We are going to get to episode 200 after all. And that's right. Well, I know you are. Whether I'm the ghost, we'll find out. Tom <laughs> Shimmer is making his moves. <laughs> that's right. Don't don't throw him any extra dollars. No, you no. see how I brought that right back down to back to those extra dollars. You did. You sure did. I'm a smart guy. Eh? <laughs> I'm not just a gym guy. Eh? I do more than just serve volleyball. Yes, yes. Should we do. wrap this up? Yeah, I I'm did. pretty far away from the the button to play the music. Hold well, on. Okay. Let me reach. Let me reach. I'm gonna. Like, no, did you want me to read that quote? Because I oh had, yeah, I what is an episode without a quote? I was gonna say it was like you've just completely erased your ability to do. <laughs> oh, you no, heard it here say, live. I didn't say that. I did. <laughs> I've centered myself far too much. <laughs> No, but uh, I did want to highlight uh, the article that I was talking about earlier by Kiki Ojo Thompson. It is called Reframing Remembrance Day, an equity-informed approach for educators. And it is um, linked in the show notes. So please, um, please read that article. It's a really great one. And uh, what I wanted to read was the call to action that she highlights in the article itself. Uh, and so I'm going to read that little blurb here for you. And I quote, Educators are in the unique position of shaping the way younger generations of Canadians honor Remembrance Day and, therefore, how we as a nation will continue to do so in the future. As such, we encourage educators to take up the task of approaching Remembrance Day in an equity-informed way. The Ministry of Education's policies call for an anti-racist and anti-oppressive programming, making this the perfect time to implement new equitable practices in Remembrance Day observances, end quote. Perfect quote, and I think we're on that journey. Maybe not to the finish line, because we would never say that we have uh, reached the mountaintops in terms of this work, Mm -hmm. but we're committed to this work, and we hope that as you're listening, uh, a lot of the content validates a lot of the great work you're doing. Um, pushes you. I don't want to say yeah. push. It's not, it's not for us to push. Inspires. Inspire. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, if you reach out and you connect with us, you inspire us with uh, the insights that you have and the work you've done. Because, of course, the staff room is not where the the learning happens per se. This is where the conversation, this is the anecdotal comments. It's the conversation afterwards because I think this is how teachers learn and grow collectively. And and I could make the, the tongue-in-cheek joke that no one ever centers the teacher voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a joke? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, but, um, but you are absolutely right. The learning is certainly propelled from uh, our conversations. At least my learning is, and, and I think yours is as well. So... Um, you know, we are always honored to hear if you are learning has been propelled by these conversations as well. Yeah. So of course, uh, and if anything resonates with you, we haven't had a guest blogger in a little while. If you want to write a guest blog and have it on the champav.com, we would love to feature your thoughts, your reflections on an, on an episode or on 
this episode. But Pav, I think it is almost time to wrap up 99. Yes, I would agree. Let's get a little music there. Read over there, old man. Do you move this board when I wasn't looking? It's too far away. All right, the swag bag as Pav now goes off and looks angry. Or perhaps you bring me a few extra dollars. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> For the... <laughs> For this swag bag I have multiple items But I'll go with a couple Um, The swag bag here is to always check The dominant narrative The dominant story Who is not seen And I think to look deep Something like Remembrance Day This is a space to check the dominant narrative But we also added further Something like literacy skills Check the dominant narrative Something like math solutions Check the dominant narrative Key to be aware, to explore, and create that culture of always seeing who is centered. Uh, my second swipe bag pad was really this this press for deeper uh, ability to consume information, and that this this sense that the information will be equally displayed for us and we can just pick and choose is erroneous. I give that example of searching for eyes while doing art white female eyes is the only image that was appearing on our first search and so I think we have this obligation to really teach this explicitly how do we search, how do we dive into these social media spaces to, to gather information, as you just shared on that blog post, it is so you, you think you're going to just see what's just and right, but even in that space, the algorithms do do erasing and they do center certain stories uh, my next one was be mindful of trauma, sometimes when we get really fixed fixated on our identity work and we get really fixated on curating this safe in this brave space that sometimes we center ourselves in decentering ourselves and we push forward and we put students in places where maybe it's too much for them you can traumatize them you can trigger them and so as a teacher always be mindful you are always in a safe in a brave space and it's not for you to define that for others you got to work hard you got to build those relationships. And you know what? It's not relationships before curriculum or before content. It's diving deep into this content and showing how much you're willing to challenge it and deconstruct it and make sure everyone's the scenes that brings that value. And I think, Pav, that would be my three swag bag items. I think that that was a fantastic swag bag and a great summary to this uh, important conversation, insightful conversation, and uh, definitely an inspiring conversation for myself because... I know where I feel like I need to work a little bit harder and do a little bit more learning for myself. So thank you for that great swag bag. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode 99 of the Staff Room Podcast. How are we decentering Remembrance Day? Everyone, thank you so much. We'll catch you on episode 100. 100. It's coming. It's coming. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.